0: ASI, Attitudes of Sexual Integrity. My name is Rush Shaw. This is Season 5, Episode 11. This one goes to 11. It does. Hello, listeners. My name is Rush Shaw. Thanks for listening. The ASI podcast is supported by listeners. If it wasn't for listeners to this podcast, giving their life energy, which is their money, right? This costs some life energy to produce. Um, It ain't free. Uh, The podcast, uh, it takes time and money to keep rolling down the information superhighway. So I am so incredibly grateful for listeners who choose to co-produce with me that give their life energy their money in order to keep this thing going uh, i wanted to thank uh Mr. I he's anonymous but his his first name starts with an i he's in London England and i wanted to thank this listener for his recent donation uh my friend Andre he is in South America. There's a lot of guys named Andre in South America. All right, I'm keeping people anonymous uh, to a certain degree, right? So thank you, Andre, for your, uh, your generous support, man. I appreciate you. Um, my friend Chuck Hickman, who is the pastor of the church that I attend, uh, he donated to keeping this thing alive, and, and I thank you so much for his his generous donation. Um, a few more on PayPal. Uh, I had some donations on PayPal, which is great. Brent, uh, recent donation to keeping this thing alive. He's actually funding the next year on SoundCloud for the ASI shortcuts podcast. So that money's going to pay for that. Uh, thank you so much. Um, Another listener, Ron, who donated down there in the panhandle of the United States. Ron, thank you so much again for keeping this thing alive. These are all co-producers who are conspiring to keep the gas in the tank of the ASI podcast. To keep influencing hearts and minds. To keep stirring up the pot of religious Fundamentalism energy—that's keeping people in the shadows. Um, uh, hopefully, gaining some traction on helping folks who have the deepest secrets, who feel like they can't bring that out into the light. To help coax those those spirits, those souls out from from in the darkness, where that that. That bacteria, that stuff, that, you know, like I heard one guy say, uh, porn addiction, for example, one example is like, it's like mold and it grows best in the dark, right? And this is where a lot of damage happens. This is where a lot of hurt happens. This is where a lot of families are, are turned upside down, um, broken homes. Man, you're making a difference in the lives of listeners, and I thank you so much for donating. If you would like to be a co-producer, co-conspirator, to donate some of your own life energy to produce, to keep this thing rolling, man, I would certainly appreciate that. You can do that at the website, ASI247.org. Just click on the give button or the become a a, a co-producer button. Thank you so much. There's no Patreon account for this podcast as a lot of people, the bulk of people who listen, um, listen anonymously and would like to stay anonymous, and I get that. When you give to the podcast, uh, you'll see Digital Audio Project, that is the name of the the, right on PayPal anyway, the, the, the place you're donating to. So it doesn't say attitudes of sexual integrity on the receipt or who you gave to through PayPal. Um, that is also done for, for people to give discreetly as well uh, because I want people to listen in a place where, man, if I, I, when I first started seeking help for this, I wasn't, you know, just bouncing out into the sunlight, going, "Yes, these are my problems." Right? It was embarrassing. It was. I thought my family would leave me. I thought I was going to get divorced. You know, I, I just the fear factor in entering into gaining some understanding around this compulsion is strong and I want to bust that up some by letting people not only converse me, uh, converse with me uh, discreetly through like the WhatsApp and through email, but also through donating to this podcast there on PayPal through the Digital Audio Project channel. So again, thank you so much for your contributions and again, ASI247.org. If you'd like to uh, continue the ripple effect, that is the ASI podcast. But I'm going to break, I'm going to break my, going to break my rusty cage and run. I'm going to break, I'm going to break my, going to break my rusty cage and run. Listeners, once again, I am back. I'm on my way to Port Angeles right now, actually. I'm sitting in the ferry line in my car, recording this on the device that I have in my glove box because I do some of my best thinking while driving. So that's why you hear a lot of these recorded in the car. It's Hey, I never said I was a varsity radio producer. Right, audio content producer. Uh, the book I'm voicing, however, that's done through a studio mic, and hopefully it will sound pristine as it's supposed to for the uh, the Amazon audio quality Pharisees at over there at Audible. But I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll find out. Uh, today's show, again, kind of. Bouncing springboarding off the last show, episode 10, I had a question, um, what is, you refer to yourself as a Christian mystic spiritual anarchist, Russ, what is that? And then, you know, raising this concern, isn't anarchy, right, isn't that, isn't the word anarchy come from antichrist? And uh, the last show I unpacked, no, actually it doesn't, (laughs) it's from the Greek. Uh, Anna, or an, meaning without, and Arke, or Archeo, or Archea, which means without a chief or a ruler. All right. So you know, going into you look at the New Testament, you look at this ragtag bunch of uh, Jesus followers right? Peter, Mark, Luke, John. I mean, this, this is a motley crew of folks, right? It wasn't... Jesus didn't go to the Bible college, alright, to get the people that were going to start the church, which I find really encouraging, you know? He didn't go to the synagogue and say, alright, I need some varsity level, uh, college educated, 16 theology degrees, Maybe a psych degree in there, right? I I I need really bright people to to do this um, work of. That. No, he doesn't do that, does he? Right? I find that encouraging. So that's part of this, right? these guys are sort of punk rock. They're sort of anti-establishment. Uh, they're wearing crosses around their necks. You know? I mean. We, we just take it for granted today people wear a cross around their neck it's like oh you know he's a Christian or whatever but back then the first century wearing a cross around your neck that was like again that was like uh, goth or something right it was like punk rock you're wearing a cross around your neck seriously like that's do, all right? that's, a, that's a form of execution. It's a form of grisly execution at that time culturally. And early Christians used the symbol of the cross, which I find encouraging as well. It's very, very anti-establishment, very punk rock, very not-with-the-norm tradition of the bulk of popular religion at the time. Now, Jesus wasn't starting a new religion. That's another thing uh, I didn't point out in the last show. But I've said that before, right? Jesus is a Jew. It's it's important, I believe, to get that perfectly clear. So, yes, that's a little review on what spiritual anarchy is. Uh, Christian mysticism? The mystics? I just listened to... The bulk of, not all the lectures, because some of them were snoozers, to be sure. I mean, some of that, some of that stuff, I really, I'll sit through it and listen to it because I'm really interested in the, uh, in the material, right? I'm interested in learning. I I love to learn. I hated school. That's some, what was called learning disabilities when I was younger. So, but I love to listen. I'm an auditory learner, so I listen to Wheaton College. Uh, on iTunes U, if you look this up, did a whole semester on a bunch of of lectures on early ancient Christianity, which is reminding me that uh, before white guys hijacked it in Europe in like the 15th, 16th century, Christianity (laughs) is, right, not just was, but is a Eastern religion. Comes from the East. So it was cool to see an evangelical college like Wheaton bring in um, Orthodox, Christian Orthodox people to teach about ancient Christianity, which I found amazing. And then some of the impacts culturally on like 19th century theology, on uh, morality today. Not just Christian morality or religious morality but culturally. Like this stuff is culturally impacting, socially, our, here in the United States and in Europe. I believe some of you guys in the UK, if you're listening, some of you guys are like 20 years ahead of us, it seems like. I don't know. But hopefully, anyway, I'll just leave that there. Um, mystics believe in an experienced, felt kind of faith. and. My friend Seth Taylor really was the one to help me awaken to this fact that uh, ever since I started this podcast, I believe that has been my journey. If you're going to slap a label on me of some sort, and I'm not Mr. I love labels, but it kind of helps us understand, right, Christian Mystic is sort of what I have been doing since I started this podcast. Anyone who starts a podcast or writes a book, they're working something out. And that's what I had been doing, Um, and this show is an experienced journey with God that is felt by His presence. Because the transformative healing, there's a power there. And and that's that's touched on in the 12 steps, right? The first step is my favorite step. Surrender. The first step isn't to fight we got to fight! You know, I used to say that early on too, but the first step in the 12 steps, and like my friend Seth Taylor says, the first step is surrender. Um, One of the mystics, uh, I forget his name now, but talking about, Seth talks about that too a lot. It is a process of of subtraction rather than addition, and it seems like in American Christianity we have a whole market of what I call stuff-it-in-from-the-outside religion, which can fill our brains, but it's not changing our hearts. Does that make sense? Um, Saying goodbye to pornography forever, ending that relationship with pornography or sexual addiction or sexual compulsive behavior, um, that's why a lot of folks are listening right now, that is going to be a transformative healing process that is going to be outside of your brain the more you try and think about it the more you try and stuff in more information from the outside it, it, it's not it just doesn't work is it is it helpful to learn things yeah it's helpful to learn things it's helpful to get some understanding even understanding of doctrine and and things like that but you could drown in doctrine I mean there's a hundred thousand books on doctrine Uh, there are over 33,000 registered denominations of Christianity right like nobody's agreeing on doctrine so we get into these elements of faith and I'll even go into the atheist realm here too there are atheists, and maybe some of you are listening here, maybe you've been hurt or wounded, or you just had this idea of God that got blown apart, and now you've, you're you just, oh, there's no God, right? And I've been there. I, I wasn't there very long. I don't think I was an atheist, you know, off and on for 24-hour increments, or <laughs> I believe. I laugh. It's painful. It was so painful when I went through it, but looking back now... Uh, it, it's, I find it sort of... There's a comedy in there, right? Because God is so real and so loving and so present that even in our shaking our fist at Him and like some of the some of the atheists who are like, you know, God doesn't exist and, and let me tell you how mad at Him I am, right? Like, does that make sense? No. So some of the is what I call, uh, my friend Seth Taylor, a few other people are coining this phrase, certainty addiction, right? Like you get hooked on some form of certainty. Like I need to read another book that's going to make me feel certain. Um, And that's part of the first need that I'm going to talk about. So I'm gonna unpack seven subconscious needs and I believe that these are some of the things that are going on subconsciously we may not be aware of on the outside like we're living our lives sort of like we're in a ship on a voyage and if you have like somebody like some graffiti artist painted something on the side of your of your ship and you don't know it like I'm an idiot, right? Somebody painted that in your ship and you're sailing around and people are looking at you and pointing at you and going, dude, you know, they're laughing and you're like, what? And somebody, the kind person, finally, and that's that's always like, usually we pay a clinician to do that, right? We pay for a therapist or a Christian counselor or someone like that to go, yeah, somebody wrote, uh, I'm an idiot on the side of your ship (laughs) because we can't see it. Um, that's why it's important to have community, I believe, too, because when you sit with people, when you unpack your stuff, you're, you're letting other people um, into a space where you can trust them. You've built trust with them over time and they can say, sort of like, you ever seen someone with like cilantro or something in their teeth and they're talking to you and you're just like, wait, dude, you got something, right? there, right on your face, right? It's in your teeth, a big chunk leaf, sladro You look like a hockey player. Can you, right? Um, so, and that's loving. Again, that's kindness. We don't, some people get offended, but that's part of this conversation. Waking up to our wounds, our hang-ups. You are the fastest route. You will arrive at 12.41 p.m. Uh, Thank you, Google Maps. We're almost ready to get on the ferry here. Um, But that's what I want to unpack, is that we are unconscious to a lot of this stuff. And I think that it is at work in us to keep us addicted, to keep us in this habitual, constant loop of subconscious compulsive behavior because we it, it's like torture you don't like it i didn't like it. i didn't why was why, why, why am i doing these things what is wrong with me I, I, that hurt and so this i'm not an expert all right again i'm your uh professional unprofessional but these are seven things that i i believe that really are going on underneath the the surface in our hearts, souls, and minds. Get right into it on the other side of this here bumper. I was told when I get older, all my fears would shrink, but now I'm insecure and I care what people think. Thanks. Yes, that is a bumper by the 21 Pilots. The song is called Stressed Out. So I'm on the ferry boat and I just crossed across uh, the thing. I went for a walk while that bumper was playing, right? <laughs> it didn't take long. Starting the car now. Here we go, driving off the ferry. I walked around the boat. I actually put a new profile picture on the on the the Facebook page, by the way, for the website asi247.org if you want to look that up. I have my coveralls on as I'm going to more than likely be replacing a starter in my daughter's Jeep, so I have my mechanic outfit on, and yeah, you can check that out. Uh, It's a a group, it's called Heart, Mind, Love, Sex, and Affection, if you want to search for that in your Facebook groups, but so yeah, uh, (laughs) you can experience the pictures, I don't know of what's going on. As I drive to Port Angeles and talk about these seven... Alright. Google Maps is interrupting me. As I uh, unpack these seven, seven needs. Also, another thing I felt like I wanted to point out with these seven subconscious or unconscious needs is that the woundedness of it is sort of it's it's not one of those things that time heals all wounds like sometimes we can get stuck in some of the subconscious stuff for years and years i like the zombie analogy right you ever feel like a zombie i, I had a someone email me a while back a few years ago and he was talking about you know feeling like going to work and you know after a Late night porn binge, just kind of wandering around like a zombie. And and I thought that was a good metaphor. The, the zombie metaphor, like here's these creatures that all they, they eat flesh. They they just consume, 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 with not a whole lot going on right in the, in the spirit because the spirit's gone. They're dead. Right. That's that's a zombie. Um. So these, these subconscious or unconscious needs seem to, they feed off different energies. So they'll, like a zombie, right? They're feeding off the living. And all of these needs are good needs. They're wholesome needs. We, we need them. That's why we do some of the things we do. Um, but I have seven. <laughs> okay. There was uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. There's five. Uh, that he came up with like in the 40s and 50s. Tony Robbins, speaking of TED Talks, Tony Robbins did one where it was six, you know, the six needs, and that's one of the most watched TED Talks in in the history of TED Talks, by the way. Uh, So this one is my seven, right? (laughs) My seven needs needs. that that I came up with just from the study that I've done in psychology and theology and philosophy. And now it has started to rain as I cruise to Port Angeles. Hey, I'm glad you guys are here with me. It's like I'm not alone on this trip. I got you all listening. It's like a huge just carpool thing going on as I drive to Port Angeles. Uh, Anyhow, the first one on the list, this is helping me also with the framework of the book that I'm doing, uh, Mutiny on the Ghost Ship, by the way, is the title. Listen to the podcast I did before this one. This is sort of a part two, but this is where I unpack the seven needs. So number one is security. Security is a basic human need. Now, in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and my seven needs, I don't necessarily have a hierarchy to them because I'm not talking about base level psych, I guess you could say, um, where Maslow was. And, but security is part of that. So I'm a Westerner, I live in the Western world. I, I eat, um, I have a shelter. These are things that a lot of us take for granted. But when we talk about security, those are in the realm of security, aren't they? You want You wanna be able to eat Want to be able to have a place to to rest your head. These kinds of things. These are what make us feel secure, and, and they are a basic human need. Um, when that goes sideways, there's just all sorts of stuff that can happen when we are trying to get our need met for security in the wrong way. Um, that song by the Twenty One Pilots I play that that points some of that out. The song is called "Stressed Out." Why? Uh, because I gotta I, I gotta I gotta make money, right? So we tie money to security, and for a lot of us, myself, like I talked about on the last the previous podcast episode my frustrations with money and how some of you may be sick of me complaining about being poor and broke because I have a a mindset framework for that possibly. Um, My security protocol is to just keep everything dialed in to the point where I'm surviving. And I'm pretty good at that. But circumstances come up, like today. I should be working today, right? That's my, that's what my my ego says. Uh, I need to be working today. I'm way behind on the bills. I'm probably over a thousand bucks behind on the bills right now. I had the mortgage company call this morning. So, but I, I feel more peace than I have. Uh, There's the nav telling me to turn right across this big, huge, floating bridge that I haven't been across in like over a decade. I haven't been out here in a long time. Um, Anyway, I digress there for a moment. So security is money problems come out of security, right? Some of us spend too much, some of us have a hard time managing money money is, is called a security. Right? That's one of the names for money. Um, I've heard a lot of Christians say that Jesus it, it talks about money like more than he talks about sin or, or other things. I don't know. But what I really noticed about what Jesus is talking about is not necessarily money, but economy. And economy is a different thing, and I've done podcasts on that. Like We have economics aren't just something that go on in our wallet but we do we do things to get payoffs a lot of times right it feels good I want that feeling again I will go and I will pay not necessarily with money but sometimes with like prostitution for example right that's part of that I want to feel safe. I want to feel secure. Underneath all of the wanting to have an orgasm is, is those feelings, and so we pay not just in money. I mean, the woman at the well in the Bible, Jesus, he he reads her mail, so to speak, right? And this was this is a totally countercultural punk rock kind of thing as well, because you know rabbis. And guys dressed like Jesus, the teachers of the law, didn't talk to women like her. But there she was at the well, and he, Jesus, just, uh, you can read it for yourself. I've done a lot of extensive talk about the woman at the well. I've done a few shows on that, so if you want to look in the archives, uh, there's that. But that's an economic situation. Jesus ends that whole talk with I will give you water that will runneth over, right? I'll give you something that you won't have to thirst after. You won't have to keep coming back to the well. I can give you spiritual nourishment that you don't, right, have to perform to get. Um, Again, that went counter to a lot of what the religious popular theology of his day would teach. It's John chapter 4 in your Bible if you want to read that story. God comes to earth in human flesh as a man and loves on the insecure. That's another thing I love about Jesus. This constant metaphors and word pictures that he draws. A lost sheep Right, a lost coin. Uh, these these things are important to Jesus. People that feel insecure inside, God has compassion and love and grace for them. And it's not just this this kind of well. You have grace. There you go. No one's perfect. Um, it's wanting to see transform transformation and change and healing and growth. So security. Security is a, is a big one. Uh, other things about security have you ever seen like, I, I think about women, the guys do it too but for women it plays out in a lack of modesty, right? Like I don't know if you have a woman that you work with in your office or something that you're bouncing your eyes off of, to go back to that every man's battle thing. You're constantly having to bounce your eyes off the woman in the office because she's constantly dressing in a provocative way. And this is something that she may not even be aware of. Again, Jesus has all this compassion for prostitutes in the New Testament. I love that. This woman who is at, you know, he's at this Pharisee's house. He's he's like the Christian guy who brought in the, the prostitute woman, right? And she's she's wailing and crying at his feet, washing his feet, and just so grateful that he's there. Um, again, that, that's Jesus loving the insecure. But... That woman in your office or that billboard that you pass by. I don't know, some models Models are more secure about their looks because they, they profit off them, I think. Um, but there are people that will constantly show what they've got because they believe down deep somewhere, subconsciously or unconsciously, that that's their value that when a guy looks or when they turn ahead, that gives them a little hit of, of dopamine. It gives them a little hit of I'm valuable, see? I'm valuable, I'm secure in myself. It bolsters this false sense of security because that's something about, we're all aging, man. Everyone's getting older and women, sadly, in our culture especially here in the united states seattle isn't quite so bad as like la for example or new york but women are expected to look a certain way and the marketing companies clothing lines makeup all of that preys on a woman's insecurities so there's there's an industry built on On that, on on, hey, you feel insecure, buy this thing, it will make you feel more secure, you'll look better, you'll be able to push those up, right? Or for men, a lot of times men will go into debt and they will sacrifice financial security to drive like a cool car. I've done this, this is me, all right. In the past, bought like a vehicle I couldn't afford because I wanted to look cool. A, a vehicle that wasn't practical. A vehicle that got me in trouble because I didn't have a lot of self-control when I was younger as well. Uh, but I felt a sense of security because that car was an extension of myself. Now, it wasn't really... That's a false sense of security. Again, Freud would say it's like a, my penis, right? That's what Freud, Freud would, oh, you're just, you know, you're the caveman. You bought this car to accentuate your attractiveness to the opposite sex. Well, not necessarily, and that may be part of it, but really security goes deeper than that. security is us it's that little kid inside us constantly asking do i matter do i matter am i am i am i lovely do you care about me right so security things like sexual compulsive behavior sexual addiction that's a compulsion a behavior that feeds off of a good energy the, the good energy is that we want to feel secure. We need to feel secure. Um, the Bible is going to constantly go into a different way of thinking about security. Spiritual security goes beyond material things even. Uh, religion can jack with that. So there's people that can go hyper-religious when it comes to security, and then that makes them feel more secure. Uh, On the last podcast, I played that TED Talk by, uh, what was his name, A.J. Jacobs, who is a writer for Esquire magazine. He's an agnostic. He wrote a book called My Year Living Biblically, and he took literal rules that were in the Bible and he tried to follow all the rules in the Bible. Like he says, it's impossible to do, but that's part of the transformation that he experienced. And he does these books like this, where he he goes in and he really wants to learn about something, so he becomes a professional amateur, right? He calls himself, and and, and I love this guy. And he said that that year living biblically changed his life. And he said a few things in there that I played uh, some excerpts of it. I didn't play the whole talk. You can search for it on—it's uh, a TED talk. You can search for it on on YouTube. Uh, AJ Jacobs, "My Year Living Biblically." It's gonna offend a lot of you. I don't agree with everything he said, but some of the things that he said were go into this realm of security, and that's why I played it. Uh, because we can feel a false sense of security in our religiosity. He said that, and this is something I've experienced and I, I see it in recovery. What I call it is outside in uh, recovery where you're trying to push behavior mod in from the outside. And it does work when you do feel it for a little while. But it doesn't tend to work long term. But he said that, he said that dressing a certain way talking a certain way um, thinking about people a certain way not gossiping about people not, you know uh, that kind of thing saying negative things behind someone's back those kinds of things he said all of that over time had him feel like a better person and he says it's funny how and there there is some science cognitive science that this is based on that the more you walk in a certain behavior, the more that behavior becomes you. So, like a good addiction, right? But the problem with a good addiction is that it it can make you feel holy and self-righteous. And that's why Jesus was going after the, the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law in the Bible. I mean, Matthew 23, he calls them whitewashed tombs. Right, you're just white and beauty on the outside and inside you're rotting bones and decaying flesh. Um, he says uh, you're like a you're like a like a grave with the grass that's all green and underneath is right a corpse. Um, he says you're 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 like a you're like a dirty cup. That looks, that looks clean on the outside, right? Like a dirty cup, but on the inside it's all putrid and rancid and smells funny, right? And, and Jesus puts that out there too. He says, first clean the inside of the cup and the, the outside of the cup will work itself out, right? That's in, in Matthew 23. And listen, I'm using Christian theology because that's what I know, right? Like, if you're Buddhist or Muslim or maybe this is raising your curiosity of what you thought Christianity was or wasn't I don't know but uh, I'm just talking out of my worldview and how my faith has transformed me from the inside out because it wasn't just porn and sex for me it was really self-righteous it was sort of self-righteous self-destructive um, behavior from my past. When I was a young man, I lived a life that was shaking my fist at authority and at God in a in a very uh, I, I I believe in God because I'm alive still. Like it was that it was that bad. Like how am I still breathing? Um, I should have died. I actually did die once for two minutes. EMTs brought me back. So, part of my security back then was I had this self righteous attitude towards the religious people and the authority that didn't understand a messed up kid like me. And really, I had a lot of shame in there uh, that, that I was dealing with. And this really goes into the second need in the seven needs is significance. All right, self righteousness, whether it's the the religious guy or the punk rocker like myself i had a significance kind of the way i was meeting the need of significance was to be a bad boy was to break the rules was to be that that guy i had a reputation in my high school after i even after i dropped out that oh yeah you run with those guys those guys are trouble i was considered trouble um, and I felt that not as a shameful thing but it made me feel more significant as a person. And I needed significance and that's the only way I seemed to find it. I Teachers, because of my ADHD and dyslexia I didn't do well in school so teachers consistently seemed to shame me. Um, not all of them. There was a few good teachers in there. But there was a lot of uh, Pink Floyd, The Wall, going on, right? You can't have any pudding if you don't eat your meat. <laughs> that energy coming out of that song just reminds me of some of the some of the way authority figures can really uh, break the trust of a kid. All right, because I ugh, school, I wanted to get out of that as soon as I could possibly, and when I was 16. Uh, I was able to drop out. I tried to stay in. I was in until about gone. 17. Keep right on the fork. Follow signs for US 101 North. Okay, and so I, I tried to stay in school. I, I went back to the alternative school, which is ironic because it's the same place I go to church at now. Uh, Chuck Hickman, my friend Chuck Hickman, who also donated to the uh, the GoFundMe. Keep right the over. Thank God for my my friend Chuck keeping this thing rolling down the information superhighway. But anyway, Chuck Hickman's church meets in that school where I went to for about two weeks trying to get back to, you know, uh, I need to do this. You know, having this significance of the bad boy and then having my faith and some of my relatives and saying, hey, you know, you're smart. You should go back to school. You, you can um, graduate. You need to be productive, right? Um, that's another need. But my significance of being that guy and believing the lie, the lie of shame, that the only way I'm gonna find significance is by being an outlaw and breaking the law, that kind of thing really led me. And I, I went to that school for about two weeks, uh, it was called, at the time, Phoenix Alternative School. I went for two weeks, I dropped out, and and that's, that's my story. Um, so feeling like you're significant, like you have value, like you matter, that is a way to feel secure. But it's also the need of significance, and all of us have it. All of us have that felt need that we were, were someone. We are someone in the world. I heard a guy who did a, a mission trip-like thing where he was homeless for three months. And he said one of the biggest, most generous things people could do you know, people give him a buck or two, but just to make eye contact with another human being, because he said, over time, he felt so incredibly, um, like, he, like he didn't matter. Just like he was a, a signpost, or a stop sign, or a telephone pole. People would just walk by him, drive by him, he would be holding a cardboard sign saying need help another human being right standing there feeling totally insignificant and when someone would look him in the eye and say hey are you know are you okay here's a buck here's a sandwich um, when they at like a few people would ask his name and be genuinely interested in him and he said that was way more valuable to him at that place than the money or a sandwich alright so uh, again significant a big one on the human needs uh, subconsciously we're, we're constantly looking for Am I, Am I, uh, do I matter do I have value uh, so to review security is am I safe is someone going to come and hurt me that one, I I, well, I still get into some subconscious stuff around that one. I need to set up my facade. Uh, Paul Young's "The Shack" is uh, right security. I built a shack to to put my heart inside of, and uh, that's gonna make me feel secure. Another. Spoiler alert in my book. Uh, it's not really a spoiler alert, I guess, but I'm doing some study into this character, Davy Jones, uh, who's an interesting character because he's considered the devil and he's considered a saint. So he is the quintessential sinner saint. No one knows if this person actually exists, but Davy, uh, Saint David from Wales, who was. Uh, a saint he's like a water pokemon i guess i don't know as far as saints go i don't know how the whole saintly thing works with the catholic church but i assume it's sort of like pokemon right like you have a different you have water pokemon and you have land pokemon and mountain pokemon like all these different saints so david the saint david from Wales was a saint of sailors, I guess. From doing some research on that, he also his miracle is that he would take monks on these long hikes, and he could like put a staff in the ground, and water would just come welling up out of the ground. He was also a an aquaist or something like that. Like all he drank was water. So, but Davy Jones, right, the, the devil character, Davy Jones, or you think about Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, They didn't come up with Davy Jones, by the way. That's actually very old. Uh, It goes back to writings from the 14th, 15th century. Uh, Davy Jones takes his heart, and he locks it in a chest, and then throws it in the ocean. There's a a security story there, right? So to review, security and then significance. And number three on the list of us, Russia's seven uh, subconscious needs, uh, is contribution. What do I contribute? So, uh, in, in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, he puts like at the top of the pyramid self-actualization, which is kind of what all of these do. They help us be self-aware and know where we're at. Um, there's, a, there's a line in recovery that says, wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> it's, it's like a piece of philosophy, isn't it? But it's very true. Um, where you are at this point in time in the present is important. Your contribution. Um, your will. Uh, You could get into the argument of of free will in this area. Um, I geeked out on a book that Martin Luther wrote back in the day called The Bondage of the Will and how free will can lead to compulsive behavior or addiction, right? Well, I'm free to do what I want, so I'll just do what I want. The Bible says, you know, Paul goes a little punk rock and anti-establishment with the Jews when he says that the law has been kind of done away with. That's also kind of anarchy too, right? The law has been done away with. Uh, We go by faith, hope, and love. Uh, Some things are helpful and some things aren't. He's telling this to the Corinthians. You think about the Corinthians and contribution these guys—they um, make—they make Las Vegas look like Disneyland. The Corinthians, all right, first century Corinth, back in the day. I uh, don't get me started. But there's one—there's one of these guys who is asking, sort of like the listener asked me, like, "Isn't that Antichrist? Cross, anarchy? Like, don't promote anarchy. What are you doing?" Um, this is actually in the Bible. So when Paul says, yeah, the law, it's not a thing anymore, right? Following after the law is bondage, as Luther would say. Um, And this is actually mentioned twice in 1 Corinthians. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and it's in 1 Corinthians uh, 10. And you can look those up in context if you like. Uh, You have the right to do anything. Does somebody somebody asks this question, well, can I just do anything I want then? Um, So Paul says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive, is good for you, or is good for your neighbor, or your brother and sister, right, in Christ, or your fellow human out in the world, okay? Okay so what do we contribute has to do with disciplines and energies and how those energies flow out of us you know discipline is simply a way to keep our energies file, continue straight onto US 101 west bob um, on US 101 uh, to to keep our energies flowing down the highway as i am here on US 101 you're, there's disciplines to driving. I have to stay in between these two lines. I have to watch for. Straight to US 101 West. I have to listen to the nav <laughs> it's because I want to know, I want to get to my destination. So, if what we're going to contribute on has a lot to do with our gifting and our gifts, so. I had to turn the I turned the voice thing off there because it's going to keep doing that, and it's it's distracting. It's distracting me. Is it distracting you, my passengers? I'm like your I'm like your Uber Lyft driver, and we're uh <laughs> I'm just chatting with you in the car. This is fun, uh, and we have lots of time, so I get to unpack all these thoughts. So contribution. First, it's knowing who you are and some of your gifting. The Bible says, you know, raise up a child in the way he should go and and don't, right, he won't leave it. Um, that's not shoving in discipline like Pink Floyd the Wall, right? We don't need no education can be... That's that rebellion that a lot of teenagers get against their parents, against their school, because they don't trust authority, because they're not being nourished and cared for emotionally. I'm guilty of this, I didn't know who I was. I was trying to raise my kids, I was still an immature kid myself. That's going to another need, but I'm trying not to get ahead of myself here. Staying on contribution. Realizing your, when you find your path and you start to follow it, um, there will be other teachers on the way to help show you your way or to, sh- to show you that the door is closed I believe that God the creator opens and closes doors that we have opportunities that we can seize or not seize um, and a lot of that has to do with how we believe about ourselves and how we think about ourselves And Paul in the Bible uh, Romans chapter 12 is going to say that that worship is is your life being poured out, right? Like, worship isn't the the music at church, right? It's not just that. The worship was really great today. Um, Every day is worship. Every day that you take a breath, every day that you're alive, every day that you get out of bed and do your life, you're worshiping. You're, You're being spent, as Paul would say. And he calls it your spiritual act of worship. This is your spiritual act of worship that you would contribute, right? That you would do something with your life. Uh, and that's not necessarily, I mean, church is great. I'm not. Saying you shouldn't go to church, right? Find a healthy, uh, loving community of spiritual people and and stick with those people and do life with those people. And people will hurt you. That's another one. Um, If you're going to contribute to a social structure of any kind, realize that people are... People are... They're they're not perfect. They're going to harm you. They may hurt you. Ah, A little water. But how you and I work that out. I'm talking to myself here because I can get wounded by people and want to hide from people and want to crawl back in my, my Davy Jones locker, right? Lock my heart away so other people don't see it. Um, I'm guilty of that. And I have to realize that when, as you grow, when you contribute, um, Realize a new way of communication. I think communication is one of the best skills you can learn because your relationships run on communication. And your need to contribute, that underlying need, like I feel like I need to do something with my life, right? That good need that's in there, it can get hijacked by feeling like you're an idiot, feeling like you're a disaster, feeling like you can't do anything. So... Me, I like Charlie Brown. You know, I love that that line, the whole the Christmas story with Charlie Brown. Like everything I do turns into a disaster. Charlie Brown says, "I I felt like that over and over again in my life." Um, how we communicate with other human beings helps us not crawl into the shack, right? It helps us realize that other people are on a journey too. Other people need love, encouragement, hope, grace, peace as well. Uh, so yeah, man, I'm learning that communication is, is such an important thing. It's a skill that you will take out of this life. You know? um, so, there's, so there's that. Uh, maturity, that's number four and we kind of got into it, so to review security, significance contribution and part of contribution the need that underlying need of contribution like you're not going to, you know, if you want to be a doctor or a surgeon like I want to contribute in that way but I I don't want to go to school well, you're not going to be a doctor or a surgeon, okay? I'm not going to let you operate on me just because you got great self-confidence, buddy, right? I think it's one of the things in social science that we've studied among students in America. Like, we have some of the lowest test scores in our... This is sad. Um, we have some of the lowest test scores for a first-world country, yet... Our our students believe that they're they're crushing it, right? Our our kids believe that they're doing really really awesomely when they're not. So maturity is is a need that we are lacking. Uh, I'm not gonna let you take a scalpel and and get inside my my heart my brain. Um, therapists, there's another one. Um, contribution and maturity. This, There's a lot of folks, a lot of my state here in Washington State, you don't need any kind of um, learnings, any skills, any uh, certifications or degrees to be a counselor, a Christian counselor in, in my state of Washington. I believe that it's you know there are people that just have a gift for helping other people but there's also people that that have the knowledge to do that and I think that's important so some folks like you need to be very discerning when seeing a Christian counselor and a therapist I would say the same thing about a therapist just some because someone has four or five degrees doesn't necessarily mean that they're very mature or that they're conscious of their value, um, their significance, right? That their contribution. Uh, when when a clinician is unconscious to their own contribution, they can do a lot of damage. So be discerning. Uh, speak up if your therapist or counselor isn't the right fit. You know, if you feel like you're not getting help or receiving help or healing or growing, uh, it's time to move on, Um, just have that conversation is all I'm saying, alright, with your therapist, because there's a lot of therapists, you can get another one, or Christian counselors, or pastors, or whatever, Uh, so maturity, rites of passage. That's something in my country that we, we don't have as much, right? We're, we don't do well with... We're not doing a great job of growing up our young men and women with some of these healthy rites of passage. Some of them are rituals right like in africa a boy gets to a certain age and they take him and they go on a hunt and they he goes and he and he, he sees his contribution he sees his significance he has this security because he has other people around him that are showing him the ropes right showing him how to live that's a, a song by Audio Slave, right? Show me how to live. I, I love that. Um, I think Dustin Daniels, the, another podcaster, has that as his bumper music for his intro. Um, th- that's something that we're not doing well as, as a culture with our young men and boys, especially um, women, too. But there's, a, there's a real lack of direction, purpose, uh, leadership among young men and boys. And when someone can step up, and maybe it's you listening now in your community, and encourage and love a young person with, in the right way, right? Not damaging them your sexual understanding of compulsive behavior right or don't get me started down that road but what I'm saying is there's a way to turn a compulsion into creativity it's all energy it's energy that's trapped in your body like my friend Seth said is what I've been learning over the last year and a half two years there is energies that are trapped in our body and those energies can find their way into a more healthy way of being, and for some of you that could be contributing in that way to a young person that needs uh, to see an example, or to see someone with some emotional, mental, or spiritual maturity, uh, or be honest about your own growth, right? Like, here's my journey, here's where I'm going, here's where I am mess up, here's where I need help, here's where I I don't feel significant, right? I mean, young people especially really love authenticity they do and they can spot and smell a faker It's one thing I love about teens they ask really interesting questions that most of us adults don't uh, so thanks for listening if you're out there it's an email russ at asi247.org uh, that's my email by the way for whatever throw out a question on this. I'm going to take a break here, play a bumper as we get into the next one. We're up to number five uh, on the list. Here you go. Here's a bumper by Macklemore. Speaking of growing up. They say, boys don't cry, but your dad has shed a lot of tears. They say, I should be a strong man, but baby, I'm still filled with fear. Sometimes I don't know who I am. Sometimes I question why I'm here. I just want to be a good dad. Will I be? I have no idea community that raised you up read Langston Hughes, I suggest a raisin in the sun, listen to Sam Cook, a change gon' come, you put the work in, don't worry about the praise my love, don't try to change the world, find something that you love and do it every day do that for the rest of your life, and eventually the world will change I'll be patient one more month you wrap your finger Times are changing I know but who am I if I'm the person you become if I'm still growing up oh, oh, oh. A few things on uh maturity also when maturity goes sideways it looks like immaturity right like we've all seen the film or met the person right there's I think of Napoleon Dynamite and Uncle Uncle Rico right like he's still reliving his high school days as a quarterback for the team right um mature level, like spiritual maturity, like that's kind of where he's at. We've met people like that, right? You see uh, high school reunions, I, I haven't been to one, but if you go to one and and you meet that person that you haven't seen in 30 years and they they seem to have not matured, right? Like they're still, oh, did you see the ass on her? Uh, you know, that kind of thing, right? You, some of you guys have that friend, right? um there's a level of immaturity that they got stuck in again it's that wound that doesn't heal with time time doesn't heal all wounds and some of these wounds that come out of these subconscious needs they they manifest themselves like that or or like this here's here's another one Akuna matata what a wonderful phrase Acuna matata Ain't no person crazed It means no worries For the rest of your days It's our problem-free, problem-free Philosophy Akuna Matata Yes, Akuna Matata I love that there is so many... That is such a great film. The Lion King. I guess they're making a live-action Lion King is in production now. Much like they did with Jungle Book, which was a great film as well. Uh, but The Lion King, that that metaphor of akuna Matata. A lot of people... That's a great example of maturity gone awry. And it's usually because of a wound, right? In Simba's case... The horrible, terrible, awful that happened with his father was so impacted his life that it, the need for maturity was stifled, and that's where you know we're, we're not healthy. We need we need that. We need to see growth in our lives. We need to see that, or else we start to decay, right? need for maturity there's one of the ways that i've seen that happen like another way that maturity can go sideways is that hakuna matata party life right like i was party guy for a long time just wanting to party all the time, and and listen, there's nothing wrong with party, okay? It's it's when it becomes a lifestyle that it can cause a lot of damage, a jacked-up lifestyle. Well, you're getting into illegal behavior and stuff like that, just wanting to keep the thrills going. Um, but in the Bible. There is partying, all right? I mean, there is weeks of partying. I mean, there's commandments based on the Sabbath and, you know, King Solomon, Ecclesiastes is one of my favorite books of the Bible. Um, Yeah, party, all right? Level all of the grapes, all of the wine fields. Let's make a whole ton of good wine Good wine had alcohol in it, by the way, just just so you know. Um, and and they partied. They it was a commandment, like in the Old Testament stuff, like God going, to party for like weeks, two weeks. You're gonna not work, you're gonna not do anything, but party for two weeks, or I will kill you all. That's that's in the Old Testament. Um, I don't know about the kill you all part, but that, that was there was a it was, you know, there was Old Testament law. You get it, right? The Old Testament. Um, so that's maturity. When when that goes sideways, when the party life starts to, we get, you know, go to jail or something like that, right? Wreck our vehicles, get a driving while under the influence, which is very damaging to your. Driving record. Uh, being an Uber and Lyft driver, they won't even touch you if you have a DUI or reckless driving on your record. They're not, you know, that's like no. Um, so these things are these things are important. They can impact our lives forever. Uh, not just being an Uber and Lyft driver. You could kill someone drinking and driving, for example. Uh, but but that comes out of that need. Or the stifling of that need to mature, and one of the things that can cause that—I've seen this before—where uh, you, you say you have a uh, you have a parent that has a need for contribution, and they are insecure, right? Their need for security instead of placing that on themselves and realizing, yeah, I'm insecure, I have a need for security, instead of coming to that self-actualization, they, they look at their kid and they go, I, I need to be feel significant, number two, right? And I, I didn't contribute the way I wanted to in my life, but you're my offspring. So they can try and push on you or someone that you may know take their path. Because they don't like their path. And they don't necessarily care to understand who you are and your gifts and talents and abilities and how God designed you to be um, growing up in the way that you will not depart from, right? God has a certain way that if we if we get on that track, we won't depart from it. That's in scripture. But instead of letting our kids sh- and this is, I, you know, I'm guilty of a little of this just letting my kids be who they are is hard, man because you want to take control and some of the control, like influencing with love and peace and being a friend even, right? I'm not saying that you should be buddy buddies with your kid and not have any authority over them that's not what I'm saying but when you Have you ever had a friend that you looked up to and respected and and they can be an authority in your life and when they told you that you were going off the rails you could listen to them because you respected them? Parents, um, the commandment to obey your parents, like we're not designed to necessarily want to respect our parents but our parents do want good for us. But we need to also be aware that they subconsciously may have the need to feel significant by having you um, be some kind of reincarnated version of themselves. And when I've seen that stuffed into a kid, when I've seen that pushed on a, a human being who didn't necessarily have the bent to go their way, it was really destructive. And they felt shamed. They felt like they couldn't mature. So... Uh, through hearing people's stories, I've heard this a a few times, where someone said when I finally realized that my own maturity, that I had my own path, and my own way, and I stopped blaming everyone for the way my life turned out, and I realized that my path and my way, although I might not have liked it, was this certain way, um, when I came to an acceptance of that, I felt free a felt experience that happens in faith. And I think that a relationship with God brings us there. It's it's when we get to the place where we can be still enough to listen to God and not yap at Him all the time, right? Just keep talking and asking for stuff. Um, When we can have a relationship with God, we can start to mature in our own way and in our own path. And some of us can heal from the wars of our fathers or the unconscious insignificance that our mothers or our fathers or other influential people in our lives may have had on us, all right? So maturity is is a big one, number five. Uh, number four. That's number four is maturity. So number one, security. Number two, significance. Number three, contribution. Four, maturity. Five is adventure. Uh, this could also work itself out as spontaneity or variety. Uh, we have a need for that. Here's some bumper music. back to some old classic 80's the kickstart your heart right that is a need that is a subconscious spiritual human need and right because we can get into the place some of us more than others depending on your personality but some of us can really getting to the place where we feel totally comfortable in just doing our lives every day the same. And then over time, we feel like, uh, you know, like, is this just how it's supposed to work out? Is this just my life? Some of us feel that. That's why some people are on antidepressants. Some of the people in the sound of my voice not all of you, all right? I'm not, again, this is not digital therapy, I'm not a clinician, but I am willing to bet, as a betting man, rolling the dice on the fact that some of you are listening to my voice right now, you you got a prescription to Zoloft because this need is not being met. And, and, and Zoloft is a way better way. Uh, it, it's easier to take a pill than it is for some of us. With our personality makeup to be spontaneous. Spontaneity may need to be a skill or a muscle that gets developed. It's an energy that's trapped in your body. Spontaneity, is it's, this, this need for variety, this need for adventure, it's trapped in your body and the way it works itself out can be sadness. It can also be maturity <laughs> going back to to number four right the way that it works itself out we have a need for changing things up I'm not a beaver kind of person my wife is more of the beaver kind of person to use that personality makeup I'm more of the otter person I'll, I'll talk about that more later I, I there's all these different you know ways of, of myers-briggs right Enneagram, these ways of learning our, our different personality types but there's some people that have a knack or a bent towards systems numbers um, putting order to things and there's a deep need in our in our society for those people right? I'm not one of them okay? I'm not a, an organized cat. Like I don't got my shit together in neat little balls at all, alright? I am Freud thing, right? The Freud's thing on anal. You know what that means, right? It's like it's like it was studying like babies, and there's you know these personalities of children. There's babies that just want to retain anal retentive, they try and hold it and hold it and hold it because they don't want to dirty their diaper because they don't like that feeling. Um, and then there's some of us, maybe someone like myself, who I mean, I'll just crap all over the place and then make finger paintings. <laughs> I don't know. That's That's my personality. But anyway, uh, a great example of that from film uh, is the film Stranger Than Fiction. I love this film. It is one of my favorite films of all time with uh, Emma Thompson and Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell is an IRS agent whose life is interrupted by uh, this voice in his head right? All of a sudden he has his voice, starts narrating his life, and then at some point it says, little did he know he was going to die, (laughs) right? So he starts, what? This voice in my head, so he goes to it. Anyway, you got to see the film. Stranger Than Fiction is a great example of spontaneity, the need, the human need for adventure, spontaneity, variety, working itself out in a human being who learns that he may not have that long to live, right? Um, Adventure. What else is there to say about adventure? Uh, Imagination. Innovation. When we can take a step back, when we... Even meditation, i found, is sort of an adventure for me because it's a muscle that I, it's sort of a discipline I have to, my energy, like when I can bring myself down to the place where my thoughts, where I can see my thoughts, uh, my friend Seth Taylor talks about that in his book, uh, when you can step back and watch your thoughts, like, like you're at a bus stop watching thoughts go back and forth, right? Um, or I, I did this YouTube video at the airport. I was standing in this transportation hub. I walked up on this hill and You know, to my right is the airport. Planes are flying in and out. Uh, There's a train, and there's cars coming in and out, taxis, Ubers, uh, and, and I stood on this hill right in the middle of all that. And that's sort of like meditation for me, and it's kind of an adventure, when I can just step back, draw into myself, into the space where I'm present with the Lord, Right? To use those words. We can be present with God when we get to the place. But we have to turn into ourselves to get there. And some of the Buddhist tradition would just say, Well, just go and turn into yourself and try and be quiet. Try and be still. I could never do that. I tried. But when it comes to this... When it came to prayer and really asking... Not even asking not not asking with without words with just my presence being in the presence of, of God and and feeling him there feeling that presence there it's a felt experience again like the Christian mystics would say um, but yeah, just this kind of empty be still, um, some of your yoga teachers might, you know, think on happy thoughts. I don't know, It's a little shallow, right? Uh, I, I could never just think on happy thoughts. Like my mind would just race, and and but I'm finally getting to the point where I can, I can, as a guy with ADHD, there's cool, beautiful glimpses, even right there, just breathing throughout the day, taking time to breathe, realizing when. I've been talking too long, and my breath is short, and I can feel my blood in my head starting to, it's too much, right, I need to go on and adventure into myself, alright, and I know that may raise some eyebrows with some of you evangelistic types, evangelists, Oh, you're going into the empty place, right, Russ? You're going into the place where, like Jesus said, you know, you don't... I even said that in some of the early podcasts. Don't don't go into a, you know, clear out your head and just nothingness. No, don't... That's not healthy. I still believe that. I really do believe that. It's not that we're walking into nothingness to correct old Rush Shaw from the past and maybe some of my uh, hyper, maybe Calvinist... Uh, Right, Protestant, uh, Christian friends out there, that's that's not what we're talking about. As a Christian mystic who who meditates, it's being in the presence of the Lord, and I and I believe that as as a Christian, being in Christ, you think about the blood of Christ and all those. I mean, just Google that in Christ, and see how much Scripture comes up. That when we are in Christ, the stillness. There's a, a verse in the Old Testament that you know. I think it's Jacob, one of these guys. I can't remember. You know, the wind and the rain and the howling storm, and then the fire. God was he looking for God's voice in all these things. And the Bible, the Scripture records that God was in the stillness. God was in the stillness, in the quiet. Alright? So I'm not talking about clearing out your house so that other seven demons can move in and start a sorority or a fraternity. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that it's it's in the stillness that can hear the voice of God even, right? That you can listen for God. God speaks to you there. I mean, we spend so much time, you know, just putting out our list of demands for God or wants or benevolent, you know, like a king And we go, can I please not look at boobs anymore? Right? Like, please, can I, right? Like, and no, this is deeper than that. This is actually... Sitting with God, like Father, like Abba Father, like the Bible talks about. This is totally freaking biblical. And it. Ah, see, I'm getting triggered there, <laughs> a little angry that it comes up. I get. There's so much um, fear. That's what it is. It's fear. And when fear moves in, we, we, we're afraid to go into ourselves, into the quiet place. Um, because, like that scripture says, we we don't have to go running out looking for God at some, you know, Switchfoot concert, right? As much as I love Switchfoot, I love Switchfoot, all right? I'm not begging on Switchfoot, but you know what I'm saying, right? Like, there's so much in Christian culture that's, again, shove it in from the outside, and, and if we could stir up a little fear around people who say things like, you can meet God anywhere. You can meet God in the stillness. Find a quiet place and just be a person for a little while, right? Because all this technology, the smartphones, even TV, movies, all this bombardment of stimulus—it's um, hard to be a person you know, with all of that going on. I love what the comedian Louis C.K. said. He said. He said, you know, you see all these people, and they're looking down at their screens. He goes, that's not being a person. We don't know how to be a person anymore. Being a person is just being. It's just like sitting there. Just, okay, I'm, I'm sitting here. I'm waiting for the bus. I'm doing whatever I'm doing. Um, so in those places, in our maturity, we can go on an adventure and meet and meet God right where we're at. And listen, adventure. I took a picture of myself in front of this sign it says that adventure beckons. We went to this place on on Hurricane Ridge. I'll explain all of that. It's on the Facebook page if you want to see it. But adventure beckons, right? Like that that brings up feelings, positive feelings, good feelings. It's meeting some of that need for adventure. And it, and again, feelings, there's dopamine hits that come from that. There's Positive energy, right? That comes from it. We're just we're just bundles of energy, looking for places to plug in. All right, it's one of my uh, theories, anyway. Um, but as far as adventure goes, that's also why I think that you see so many old people at casinos. Like, I don't know if you've ever uh, been aware of that, but you ever go to like your... I, I live in the States. Here in Washington State, These little Indian casinos. I don't go to them very often because I don't have any money. Even if I did, I don't like, right, wasting money on gambling. It's it's fun. It's entertaining for a few hours to play a few slot machines, see a show. Um, and, and some towns, like the only entertainment hub around is a casino, right? Uh, out here in Port Angeles, is casinos, a couple of them. And so, yeah, there's there's lots of old people at the casinos because there's it's it's hitting that dopamine thing, right? Like some of these folks that are retired, there's not a lot going on. They have some money, maybe, and this gives them a feeling of that sense of spontaneity, the sense of variety and adventure, because you're spending your money, you get it. you win a little bit, you feel that, like that's. There's brain chemistry involved, right? Scientists have tracked that. Uh, speaking of science, there's also getting to know other people. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, um, adventure in social circles for both kinds of personalities. Like the introvert has a hard time coming out of their shell, so they tend to make friends that, and they and they tend to go deep, right? even maybe too quickly where they don't feel <laughs> their, their friend may not feel so comfortable so there's, there's that like, and you get that, that sense, Those again those feelings that, that hit a dopamine, I'm going to go out and meet people now I'm going to shake some hands, not totally comfortable with that anytime we get out of our comfort zone there's feelings involved, right? that's why they call it a comfort zone You're comfortable, comfortably numb, right? Pink Floyd, comfortably numb. We want to stay comfortably numb. There's something in us, there's more brain chemistry. I think it comes from that ego center, monkey lizard brain thing, right? To use some evolutionary biology thinking, what those cats would say. Um, There's homeostasis that wants to keep us safe. I just want to stay safe because if I venture out, I have the risk of being attacked by the saber-toothed tiger or something, right? Or some kind of biology left over. I don't know. Whatever you want to, however you want to solve that. But that's, that's what's going on in our minds. And when we get out of our comfort zone, when you go meet somebody. Now, here's for an extrovert. And I'm... I'm sort of an introvert and extrovert, like I'm weird. So I started out as a, pretty much an introvert as a kid and then I uh, got interested in girls and then I, I'm pretty good with conversations I guess is just the way my mind works. So I, I became, I was considered friendly. So then the extrovert in me felt comfortable, more comfortable around people. But what we tend to do as, as extroverts is we don't want to go deep. We get uncomfortable going deep. So we can have a thousand friends and, you know, our social circles can be a mile wide, like two inches deep, right? And you got to let people in. See, that's what the introverts are, are better at than as extroverts. When they do make friends or the, or the relationships that you guys have with your families, they tend to be deeper. And they tend to impact you more. So as you widen your social circle, you gain more of that need being met of not just adventure, right, that's kind of entering into it, but you're meeting the need of realizing you're significant, right, if you're around healthy people that you can build those relationships with, that's another thing about introverts. They don't tend to build relationships with unhealthy people long term. Where people like myself, I can stay in a, in a relationship with an unhealthy person, or a toxic, destructive person. Not that that person is bad or irredeemable. That's something that I, I I I stole this from a movie, but I said that once today too. I said I don't I don't dislike anybody. Like I like everyone. It's the devil inside them that I don't like so much. So the, the people that maybe have more of the devil inside them, right out on the, in the open. I don't know. Those people that I. I I can tend to be in relationship with and maybe that's good I don't know but if they are impacting me and uh, influencing me it's not so good and as an extrovert we don't tend to see that as well as you introverts you introverts will um, cut off relationships with toxic people quicker than us extroverts I guess is what I'm saying Uh, I was a toxic person so there was a time in my life where I was, I was that guy who was, who you know, you if you're have problems with substance abuse, you probably shouldn't be around Russ Shaw. Um, I was that guy. I was an, an, an instigator. Uh, so, yeah, um, Amy Winehouse, that story. I remember hearing about this other musician that she was around and everybody um, like Chris Brown and Whitney Houston if you followed that story everybody thought that Chris Brown was this horrible influence on Whitney Houston when you know as it turned out Whitney Houston was kind of already like that they were they came together as two people who had their own issues with substance abuse And so, you know, this guy with Amy Winehouse, I forget his name, saying that he had to, just for his own sanity, stay away from her because he was afraid that he would relapse, right? And that's another reason I'm writing this book too, is that we get, we don't realize when we're becoming a dry drunk, is what they would call it in in, uh, AA circles, basically a dry drunk is, is the word for addiction swapping. It's sexual addiction or, you know, codependency. Love addiction is what that is. That's the 13th step that a lot of folks are unconscious of. So that's another reason I'm writing this book, hopefully for the recovery community to realize the, the some of these needs because that's why the 13th step is so prevalent in a SA, Narcotics Anonymous, uh we run away from a hard relationship into maybe a toxic one just because we're not dealing with some of these subconscious needs. Uh, it's just my theory. So uh, just I, I go with it. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm the professional unprofessional. I'm not a school person, right? I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just guy with a podcast doing a podcast for 10 years I don't know Uh, not an expert Um, anyway need number 6 so let's review number 1 security number 2 significance number 3 contribution Um, jobs are a big part of this did I mention that you get a job and and you pay the bills and uh, right that song stressed out 21 pilots wake up, you need to make money. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. So, this is going into that too. This is uh, creation. So, I'm, anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. So, going down the list. Number one, security. Number two, significance. Number three, contribution. Number four, maturity. Alright, spent some time on that one. Number five, spent a lot of time on adventure. Uh, number six, creation. All right, now this is different than contribution and, and some of the other psychologists. Not that I'm a psychologist. Did I just lump myself in with other psychologists? <laughs> Do you see what I did just then? Other psychologists might. <laughs> no! I'm not a psychologist. Dear God, what am I doing? Anyway, uh, <laughs> other people, other thinkers out there may go after these needs, these subconscious needs. And say that uh, creation and contribution are the same thing. I don't think they are the same thing. And I was reminded of this uh, when I was making whiskey. So, yes, that's right. I, I make whiskey. It's a hobby of mine. I think I mentioned it in the podcast before. I haven't made any in like a year. I made a bunch of it. And I don't tend to drink a lot of it. So, I have it aging right now. Because aging takes a really long time. So... It's a, it's a, you know and and part of the hobby is me dealing with my alcoholic past. The fact that one of the reasons I was an alcoholic was because I didn't respect or know all of the, it's an art form making whiskey. It really is um, hard alcohol spirits. The way that the flavors come together, the things that you ferment to make them. Um, if you want to just get drunk and make corn moonshine, even corn moonshine, there's different ways of making it that, that, that give it character, all right? It's a spirit. <laughs> they call it a spirit for a reason. Um, the fermentation process, I really geeked out on that. Also, my, my therapist Thought it would be a good idea. Some counselors do, you know. If you do something that actually is pre-therapy that I started it, but my therapist kind of backed me up on it right. Like she says, it's good for you with your ADHD to be in a have a hobby that slows you down, and and this hobby is very time-consuming. It's it slows me down. Um, I try and make it go faster, right? The process of distilling and having the alcohol drip out, capturing it, right? That process is is painstakingly slow. Uh, But if you do it right, you get really good tastes and flavors. If you do it wrong, you get burnt tasting stuff that helps start the campfire in the backyard. We have a little fire pit in the backyard, and yeah, that's what that stuff's good for. So, realizing that creativity is is different than this is where I'm going with this. Um, this this hobby is is something that I'm creating. Um, it's not my job, all right. That's that's another thing. If you have a job, some of us have jobs that are mundane. I drive. Uber and Lyft all day. I drive people to work. I drive people from here to there. It, it's kind of a mundane thing. I enjoy people, conversations, stuff like that. Some of the people I meet, but some of you have jobs like that. Like it's mundane. It's it doesn't stimulate your creative energy, your need for creativity, the feelings that that come from you creating something, building something. Um, families you know there's some evolutionary biology in this too there th- and, and it can go into sex and these two needs um, the previous five and six, I'll go into that a little bit in a moment. Let me put a pin in that for a second and finish my thought about making whiskey because I had a point that I was going to finish. Um, I had some friends come over and they were drinking whiskey. We were drinking some of my whiskey in the backyard. My one friend, Paul, he's a he does some work in like uh, investment capital, stuff like that. And he was saying, hey, you make the really good whiskey. This is great. I know people that can raise money. Let's see if we can start a distillery. And I started, we started investigating this. It turned out that the taxes are just way too freaking high in Washington State and that most distilleries, there's like one or two distilleries in the state that actually profit but most of them, most of these micro distilleries are like uh, expensive hobbies for rich people, that's what they are along with a lot of the breweries but that's a whole other story Uh, beer tends to profit more because there's not as much um, aging involved, right Uh, so I'm out investigating this as a a possible career path, right? Like, I could make whiskey. That would be fun. But I met a guy who said that he loved making whiskey. He came from a family that, you know, like in the South where moonshine and all that. And it was in his family and all this. and, And he was saying that... He said he really used to love it, but now he started this business and he sits 12 hours a day in front of a still. And he says, my, my passion for it has left and now it just feels like a job. And that's where I got this idea of understanding this subconscious need, the need for creation, the need to build something that's bigger than yourself. And going back to family. Some family stuff may be tied in there, right? Um, So adventure. The need for adventure. And the need for creation. uh, Those two needs getting met in a jacked up way. I think can result in folks going to like sex parties. um, Stuff like that. Like we are... We're so... uh, We can come so interested... In sex and, and enjoy the feeling of it. I listened to a podcast where a woman who also does a podcast on sexuality. She was unpacking um, just years of, of sex parties and you know orgies and uh, multiple partners. And not just that, but. Poly polyamory, right? Like being in love with more than one person, thinking that that will sustain a relationship long-term, or meet those needs of significance, maybe, right? Underneath. Um, meeting, meeting the need. Some of this is maturity, right? Um, I, I'm not saying that she's immature, and she she didn't speak negatively of it. Like you would hear, you know, like a sex addict would say, I just about destroyed my life. No, she said, you know, I, I, I became really interested in sex, curious about sex, and, but, but at the end, towards the end of this conversation, she went into therapy, started unpacking stuff with her dad, right, that relationship with her f- father, and then realizing that she had a hard time trusting right and being in relationship with someone so she had this need even though she didn't want to i mean not religious person at all right she had this need to be monogamous this is how i'm kind of uh, am i judging i'm not judging it i'm just observing it from the outside from a guy who did some of the same things i wasn't Polyamorous, though I wasn't in love with people that I was having sex with, it just seemed like a. Anyway, I'm not gonna go into that. Uh, her story, she you know, towards the end of it, realized that the need for, I believe, and this is again how I'm observing it the need for adventure got tied into sex, the need for creation got you know jacked up and tied into sex as well because sex um we'll talk about old freud again here sex is what we do to keep the freaking species going and there's these deep ties to survival as a freaking species on this planet when it comes to having sex and being, having a sex drive, all right? Some of you have a sex drive because you're looking like this guy, Science Mike, he does another podcast, uh, the Liturgist podcast, which is another good one. If you're, if you're kind of a, a science person, right? This guy, Science Mike, and I don't agree with Science Mike and everything, but I thought this was fascinating what he said. <coughs> Excuse me. He said that you know, a woman's body, a woman is another human being. All right, guys. We need to stop and think about that one. Some religious people need to stop and think about that one. Uh, I don't, I won't go down that path. But anyway, women are people, all right? They are human beings. Ladies, I know you're listening. You listen to the podcast. There's almost as many. I, if I look at the short podcast, there's it seems to be there's more women listening to that one than, than even dudes. So anyway, I'm glad you're listening. My point is that women, when we realize that you got you ladies, when when the opposite sex, we'll do an opposite sex thing. Men and women are human beings. Well, they have different bodies. All right, they are different physically. Um, guys, she has breasts to sustain life for a child okay? That's what those are. You, you you like the different sizes and shapes, and the reason your brain is doing that, again, is not just because she's hot, you know? That, that whole kind of, we can tie this energy to it of novelty, right? It just becomes novelty. Her body becomes some sort of novelty thing to talk about. Um, she has curved hips, um... Rounded butts because again, it's a place to store fat for, for sustaining life um, We are we are creatures on this planet that the, these body parts are used to reproduce. procreate right. That's not all it's there for yes. The, the feelings are great the feelings of sex are awesome the whole book of Sol- Songs of Solomon is about this romantic, beautiful idea of relationships and sexuality. Um, and it, there's no words in there about babies. There's not one word in there mentioned about procreation in the Songs of Solomon, which I love. Uh, but that's that's something to realize as well. We can... Th- these two things. Um, adventure and creation seem to be tied in with the Songs of Solomon there. It's not just creation of uh, a family, although that's the end result, right? It's one of the results of, of uh, active, uh, being sexually active. But, th- the facts are that our bodies are constantly, there's, there's brain chemistry, there's leftover DNA all of our DNA you know we are we are driven to have sex because that's how the species keeps going the way one of the reasons I'm doing this book again is one of the ways to get away from some of this destructive compulsive sexual behavior is to realize those seven needs and uh hopefully I'm doing a a fairly good job of unpacking them. Um, Number seven is where I go into the spiritual side of things. Uh, It's where some of the college folks and the evolutionary biologists, um, the atheists may have issues, but uh, this is something that I've learned and and grown to understand is true, that Um, Again, my my experienced faith. So, a lot of you guys know that maybe agnostics or atheists that may be listening, Uh, I'm not a blind faith guy. I know, I just said that. I'm not a blind faith guy. Now, you could say that, oh, well, there's a scientific explanation for everything you believe, Ross, and you just don't know. You know, you had some feelings, you feel like you experienced God. Did you hear about the God Hat? It's a, it's another TED Talk again. But it's anyway. This guy. Um, I don't know, right? <laughs> the God Hat. So there's a, there's another podcast called Everyone's Agnostic, and I and I appreciate that one as well because there's a lot of folks who who have that kind of certainty addiction. Um, I think it's built into the need for security and significance. But that's just me. Uh, The Agnostic Podcast is another one where everyone's agnostic, right? Admit that you don't know everything. I don't know everything. I embrace the mystery. But when we get into talking about love, what are we talking about? Right? That's a great great thing to bring up. Affection, love, and connection. These are three. These are three things, but they are are distinctly different, right? Um, affection is that feeling that we have for someone. Now, if you ever get been married or if you get into a relationship long term, uh, it's not always going to be puppy dogs and ice cream. Let me just tell you that human beings are right. We're Hey, I'll go into it, and this will raise some eyebrows and maybe piss off some of my orthodox, if all of a sudden I have orthodox listeners. I don't know. But you know what? You're born a sinner. (laughs) You're born that way. Sorry. You're born sinful, jacked up human being. Um... And that doesn't go shame on you. Oh, you should feel shame because you're a sinner and you'll always be a sinner. I I also believe that we are born imago Dei, which is Latin for image of God. That in us, we, we are image bearers of the creator of the universe. That we are plugged in. We are in tight relationship with God. Whether you choose to believe that or not, God is right there with you, he's not distant, he's not in a temple, he's not, alright, this is, this is faith, alright, this is some religion, you can throw a religion in there, I'm not a religious guy, again, Um, but we're, we're getting into elements of faith, love, my friend Seth Taylor talking about love is an energy, you can actually measure the vibration of it, they're finding today, with quantum physics. Um, God says, I am love, right? God says, I am. The Bible says God is love. I think it's John, 1 John says that that God is love. The embodiment of love itself is is who God is. Now, affection is something else because affectionate feelings are not always going to stick around. And some folks you know you could call that love addiction and some people have tied that to codependency uh, i don't know if that's an accurate definition of what i'm talking about codependency is when you're in a relationship with someone you you feel like you're not a complete person without them and if they're not in your life then you're nothing. You're destroyed. You're suicidal. You're that's codependency. We're we're dependent. Our being is dependent on them being in our lives. Now you can love someone and and be very very hurt and suffer extremely when they leave your life. But listen, this is a truth, and it's not just a religious truth. But we really are. Um, we're more than, than the people that love us. We are who we love. Yes, I just, I just quoted um, Fallout Boy, uh, save rock and roll. But I mean, if that's true, that line in that song is. True. We don't know how to quit the You are what you love, not who loves you. In a world full of. Yes, I'm here to scream conclude part one of the seven needs needs and wants right the seven motivators the seven things subconsciously under the surface that we are doing we're not aware of right Um, on the next episode I unpack love right affection those feelings, those words. There's a whole Facebook page to that <laughs> conversation I've been trying to start for a while called uh, Heart, Mind, Love, Sex, and Affection uh, on Facebook. So there's a link to that on the pod uh, podcast website, asi247.org. Thanks again for listening. If you're still listening, like, wow, if you're still listening, I'm, I'm glad you're here. Maybe it took you a while to get through this episode, but I'm glad you're still listening. Uh, till next time, I'll leave you with a little bumper by the uh, Kings of Leon. And also, uh, the SoundCloud, the uh, ASI Shortcuts podcast has a new episode up with Seth Taylor and I uh, talking about purity. So if you want to check that out, do a search uh, for porn addiction. And if you could leave a review, you know, a five-star review, that'd be great. Give your Uber driver who just drove you for two hours five stars. (laughs) Or your Lyft driver, right? Uh, Also, there's a Lyft code on the website, ASI247.org, if you'd like a $50 ride credit for Lyft. If you're here in the States, uh, you can do that there. Uh, Thanks again for listening, you guys. I love you all of you listening right now. The sound of my voice, I do mean that sincerely. Here's some Kings of Leon. Until next time, bye. I can't get there on my own You can't leave me here alone I'm just trying to do what's right Is fought to fight When the walls come down When the walls come down When the walls come down